Amen. All righty. I might be the youth pastor, but Jeff Grinnell's wearing his Adidas sweats up here. I think in his hoodie, he looks sharp today. Actually, all of the students with the called conference, they're not here because there, there was a bigger crowd last night in this room than there is right now. We had, I, I'm going to say 400 people here last night that are on campus that are high school students that are not part of the preview day. This is a parallel event happening right now. Uh, that's out, they're not even in chapel. We're going to reconvene at 2.30. So we have tons and tons of uh, great perspective students that are just going to water this earth uh, with, with just incredible leadership. Um, so anyway, I thought I was having my, my eighth grandbaby yesterday. You notice how we say I thought I was having my uh, eighth grandbaby. Yesterday, I, I had to run out to Sacramento Friday because Brianna is giving birth, and I've missed the last two babies being born. Uh, because of the crazy schedule here at the university. So I was going to try to be there. She was due, and they were going to induce labor. And then um, I go, I got to catch a flight. I got to catch a flight. Let's get this baby out. And so they just decided not to induce it and let it be natural. So the baby wasn't born yet. So I got in late uh, yesterday, came here for the call conference. We're waiting any minute for the baby to be born. But I was not here Saturday because I was out there being grandpa, and I missed um, uh, Coach John High's last game, 11 years. He has been the men's basketball coach at this university. I don't know if John is in the chapel today. I'll get him, trust me, I'll get him shortly with that. However, tonight, tonight, yeah, that's right. Um, tonight, first time in school history, our women's basketball team has made the playoffs. And I, I think I heard rumor they might be here. Can all of the entire roster coaches of our women's basketball team, one of the greatest seasons in school history, playoff bound. Tonight, we play at Northwestern. The game is at 7 o'clock. We have a bus that's leaving here at 6, correct? Am I getting it right? 6 o'clock. There's free pizza for the first 50. But at Northwestern, where the game is, if you have your ID, your NCU ID, is this correct? You get into the game free of charge tonight. We want hundreds and hundreds of students, people, friends to go flood uh, the gym at Northwestern. It's here locally in, in St. Paul. It's not far away, um, 15 minutes away. We want to be louder than them. We're, we're like spirit-filled Pentecostal. We're louder, we're louder, we're louder, we're louder. And we want to translate that noise tonight at Northwestern. I can't wait to be there. I'm going to be FaceTiming the game to, to Karen, but tonight. But can we have the entire roster coaches of this year's women's basketball program? Would you stand up real quick? Everybody stand up, stand up, and let's give them. Come on, you can be louder than that. Come on. Come on. Very impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. So tonight, 
We are going on the road. We're going to make history. We've already beat this team one time this year. We're going to beat them twice. And there's nothing greater. We made the playoffs back in the day when I played. We played Multnomah University on their home court in front of 3,000 people. We were down by 17 with six minutes to play. We won the game by one point on their home court. Silence 3,000 people. I'm dropping dimes from all over the place in this game. True story, true story, true story. Nothing's greater than beating the host team on their home court and ending their season. Jesus will be pleased if we do this. We're going to do it. All righty, now let's talk about loving people here. Let's talk about loving people. You guys, I cannot believe the chapels that we have lined up. This coming Wednesday is a phenomenal speaker. Uh, Scott Welch, um, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, is coming to our campus. He's one of the great leaders in corporate America, the church, uh, on teaching us how to be a university that looks like heaven. Scott Welch is phenomenal. Um, and he is a prolific kingdom guy. He is an expert in bringing people together, brown, black, white. He is a gift. You do not want to miss Chapel Wednesday, this Wednesday. Secondly is next week might be the best week of the year. On Tuesday, we have, I think, the world's leading expert on human sexuality, uh, he speaks all over the world, uh, keynotes Hillsong conferences, speaks, his name is Cy Rogers. And Cy Rogers has been a friend of this university for many, many years. He hasn't been here for, several, for a handful of years. Cy Rogers uh, is coming next Tuesday. I would not miss this chapel for nothing. Like we're gonna sing a song and then let Cy just go for it. His teaching on human sexuality in this day and age is going to be uh, like nothing that you have ever experienced in your life. I've heard Cy speak probably 50 times in my life. He's the number one voice, I think, in the world. Uh, he has come out of uh, the gay culture. He, was, he is a leader of leaders. He is an unbelievable voice to universities all over the United States. And he is going to help us contextualize uh, love He's going to help us contextualize caring, and Cy is going to be here Tuesday. Then Wednesday, Wednesday, we have one of the most unique people in the country coming. Uh, she's only the second recorded person in the United States to have an abortion reversal. I had never even heard of this term in my life. Oh, yeah. Like, what's that? That is, what? Um, she speaks all over the United States. She's 25. She got pregnant at 16. She got pregnant again at 19, went in to have the abortion, took the first round of the RU46 pill, and then went through a process, through this experimental process, and God spared her child, and he was born perfect nine months later, and she has led the, a, a voice. She is going to help us understand how we help people who've gone through abortion, people who are facing abortion, contemplating it. She's 25 years old, uh, and she is one of the gifts to this country. I, I can't even believe that back-to-back -back we have Cy Rogers and Becky. And then after, 
uh, after Becky speaks Wednesday, there's going to be, I believe, a way to sign up for up to 100 uh, of you that want to do a Q&A lunch with her. Um, so all that's happening next week. But Scott Welch this Wednesday, next Tuesday, Cy Rogers next Wednesday is uh, uh, Becky. And you're going to have a great, great time. Okay, here we fly. Let's go. Let's go. So yesterday... Uh, I am boarding my airplane. I am. I never, honestly, I probably missed church five times. I don't travel on Sunday mornings, but I was there for the baby. So I was flying home yesterday morning, kind of a rare thing. I fly through Salt Lake City and I don't fly first class, but I, I do get upgraded because I fly a lot. So if I get a free upgrade, I didn't pay for it. It's just because I've racked up a bunch of miles. And the way that the gig works is um, I, I scan my little thing, whatever my ticket was, and then I take a couple steps and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, waiting, waiting to see if this little thing pops up uh, that says, oh, Mr. Hagen. And they pulled out this little piece of paper and I've been upgraded to first class. And so it happens maybe once a month, uh, but it's, it's unbelievable. And, and so you're up there and you're like, you're eating, you know, chocolate mousse and, and it's just an unbelievable thing. You ever, does it ever irritate you like when you walk on an airplane and your seat's in the very back and you have to walk through first class and there's some little punk 10 year old in a Stanford hat sitting in first class like, you, you punk, 10 years old. Yeah. But if I get bumped, I'm there. I'm 56, man. I put in my time at the back of the plane for years, man. I, I, if I get a free upgrade, I take it. So yesterday, I did it, and I walked kind of slow, wait for the little computer to shoot it. Take two more. Mr. Hagen, yes. Here's your new seat assignment. I go, yes. New seat assignment, and it is row 10, seat D. So... I go, first class is like eight rows. I go, well, 10, I'm in business. Not first, but it's okay. I don't get any chocolate mousse, but it's still nice. A little more leg room, and you're closer to the bathroom. So I take it. So I sit, I go to my seat, sit down, and I'm in, it's three seats here, three seats here. I sit in this seat. Right across from me is a man that I notice. He's sitting right there, and he has on a surgical mask. And usually that means that he's either sick or he can't get sick. And he looks like he's in his 60s, maybe 70. He's bald, but not like bald because he has shaved his head. It's like bald because he's been sick. And you're putting two and two together quickly. And he, this guy looks like he is not doing well. And he's kind of bent over. He's listless. And he is not, he's just not good. So I sit down and immediately I feel that thing. And I go, man, at some point in this flight, I got to pray for this guy. He probably is a God hater. He probably is going to spit on me or something. And I have all this reason. So I'm just kind of getting all like, okay. And at some point I, this guy, cause he's been over and he finally asks the steward before we've taken off, can I get some ginger ale? I am very nauseated. I'm going to throw up. And he goes, I'm not, I just weak. Can I, so he brings him something, says, no, no. he goes, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to be uh, uh, demanding, but there can't be any ice in it. I just need like room temperature ginger ale for my stomach. He's just barely saying the sentence and he's bent over like this. And obviously he was very sick. And so we don't talk. And so the flight takes off and then the cart comes down the aisle. And while the guy, the cart's between us, so I actually can't see him because uh, the dude's rear end is right here in the cart. And, but I hear the man say that's sick. He says, are you a man of prayer? And he says, because the guy said, how can I help you? How can I help you? He said, are you a man of prayer? And he says, uh, yes. And the steward's bent down. I'm, I'm just totally like lurking. You know, I'm just like, 
You know what I'm talking about. Christian curiosity, man, it's all good. And, uh, and so the man says, I'm a man of prayer. And I go, oh, he asked for prayer. But then I go, well, okay, what kind of prayer? You know, what kind of, where's this guy? But he's a man of prayer. So the cart goes, and I look at the man, he's just kind of bent like this, and I, I touch his arm right there, and I said, hey, buddy, I'm a man of prayer, too. I'm, I'm praying for you, too. He goes, so then about 10 more minutes goes by, and he says, where are you headed? I said, I'm back to Minneapolis. And I said, where are you headed? He goes, I'm headed to Rochester, which means Mayo Clinic, which if you live in this area and you've traveled, you know what's going down right here. And we started talking. I said, I'm a man of prayer. And I said, where are you from? He says, I'm from Fresno. Fresno, I said, ah, oh, Fresno, I, I've been in Fresno many times. I know the football coach at Fresno State. We started talking football, you know, and I, I met the president of Fresno State University. I'm just trying to find something. And he, he looks at me and he goes, yeah. And I said, uh, he, he goes, so you, you, you know how to pray? He didn't say, do I pray? He said, do you know how to pray? I said, I, with Jesus' help, I've been asking him, Lord, teach me to pray. But yes, I pray. And he says, so what do you do, you do, sir? And he says, well, he goes, I, I'm, I'm, I got stage four pancreatic cancer and I was given three months to live three months ago and I'm going to Mayo tomorrow, which is today, and they're either going to fish or cut bait, and which means that the treatment's going to stop and I'll be gone in a couple of weeks or I'm going to survive. And he said, so we started talking. I said, what do you, he says, I, I, he goes, I was a, he goes I, I was a pastor for 30-something. He tells me he was a pastor for 30-something. I said, I was a pastor for 35 years. He goes, you were? For the next hour and a half, we talked about everything. We talked about people. We talked about the ministry. We talked about Jesus. We talked about scripture. We talked about the book of Habakkuk. We talked about things we did. And with every moment in the conversations, we would talk about Jesus as we would talk about God's word and we'd give each other memory verses. I watched him start to sit up and I watched his veracity start to return. He started talking about life and I got him even to laugh. I was talking about the school and getting to North Central and all the stuff that's going about my mom's cancer and we're talking about what Jesus has done. Then we talked about a series on relationships and fundraising and people we had to let go and people we've hired and youth pastors and children's pastors and churches we got kicked out of and churches that loved us. We're just talking about the ministry. And finally, his voice is loud and it's strong. He's sitting up in his chair and an hour and a half goes by and I literally watched this man come back to life. His buoyancy, everything returned. And he said, listen, let's pray for each other. And this dude didn't care at this point. I, I was watching. <clears throat> He's talking loud. I'm listening loud. I'm kind of talking loud. There's 10 people all around us who've just been sitting there for the last hour and a half about the book of Habakkuk, the Great Commission, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, John Piper, everything we could talk about. So he said, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, I'm going to be speaking tonight to hundreds of teenagers about the call of God in their life. He puts his hand across my wrist. The, 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 the steward guy there, he's got the cart. He just is waiting in the, in the aisle like this. <laughs> he prays for me. I pray for him, for healing, for Jesus to touch his life, for the blood of Jesus to remove the symptoms and the cancer that's in his pancreas. We went back and forth and I watched him come back to life. This guy that literally was listless, nauseated, could barely 
get a breathy sentence out. So this is John Wiseman at the end of the flight. I wish I would have took a picture at the beginning of the flight. He said, I, I might not even be here four weeks from now or less, or I might be here for a long time. I said, John, you got to come by the college next time you're here. And we're going to set a coffee date already in Fresno this summer. But I just want to pray for John. He's at Mayo at three o'clock today. He finds out a lot. So Jesus, I'm asking for you to heal John Wiseman right now, Lord. Father, he was so full of life, God. He just came to life. Lord, literally like he was stepping up out of a casket over that hour and a half. Father, his voice became strong as he would talk about the word and talk about you. It was so powerful to be in his presence, God. And I asked Jesus for you to heal him and touch him and minister to him, God. And we pray for the reversal of this report, Lord, of this stage four uh, pancreatic cancer, Jesus. Lord God Almighty, do something that Mayo cannot, Jesus. Heal him, touch him, and God, give him years, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name to touch him today, Lord. In your precious name, everybody said amen and amen, amen. It was an awesome. You know, all kinds of stuff, man. If I didn't have my frequent fire, I was in row 17, except she called out my name and moved me to row 10 uh, for that reason right there. Okay, here we go. I, there's no way I can speak on the book of Esther in 15 minutes, um, but I want to highlight something that I want to give to you. When I was 21 years of age, this verse of scripture changed my life. One of the things I want to do as president, uh, as you sit in these chapels, is somehow pass on to you uh, the most significant markers in my life that really redirected my thinking, my behavior, my understanding, all of it for literally till I sit here at 56. And when a story in the Bible informs you at this level and stays with you at this level, um, I, I cannot think of a top five portion of scripture that has more guided my life and how I respond to situations and people than this passage out of out of. Uh, the book of Esther. Book of Esther. It's one of the two books in the Bible that doesn't mention God. The Song of Solomon is one, another book that doesn't mention actually the name God. God is hidden uh, by name, but he is visible throughout this wonderful book. It's one of the uh, two books in the Bible, Exodus and Esther, that talk about the persecution. It's just uh, this uh, saturated in anti-Semitism, this idea of the annihilation of the Jewish people. Um, it's dedicated entirely to that. It really is the reasoning for this wonderful feast of Purim that is a dedication uh, feast that literally has become a modern-day Mardi Gras for Jewish folks, not mentioned in the laws of Moses, but this emerging like Hanukkah uh, that remains remembers a time when the Jewish people were about to be annihilated by a decree from the king, and the Lord spared them from total annihilation in this feast. So the book of Esther is really making the case for this wonderful ongoing feast that the Jews celebrate today. And it's a powerful, powerful book. I could go on and on. One of my all-time favorites in the Bible it says, after these events, king, and we would pronounce that in English, Ahasuerus. It would be more Ahaja Varush. It's kind of a unique uh, 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 enunciation of his name. We'll call him a Hazarus. King Xerxes is also in this book. I call him King Xerox uh, when I was a kid. It was much easier as a youth pastor to call him King Xerox. Um, uh, he promoted Haman, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So Haman, 
I want to share with you in the next 15 minutes this little idea. Don't hang with Haman. Don't hang with Haman. And I want to, I want to share with you why not to hang with Haman. He advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So sometimes our gifts make a way. Sometimes a powerful person, for whatever reason, there's a vacuum in leadership. They just promote us. And we're promoted, not by God, but we're promoted by people. Haman got promoted by a person. And it says here, uh, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Next one. For so the king had commanded concerning him. So people said, you got to listen to this guy. You got to bow down to this guy. You don't want to be that leader in which your other people are being told to follow you. Don't be that Leo. You got to follow this person. People don't do that. They may go through the gyrations and the motions, but it's not coming from their heart. So they're being forced to bow down to Haman. But Mordecai, this relative of Queen Esther, neither bowed down nor paid homage. I'm not bowing down to this cat. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. Oh, we could just deep dive into this, this broken part of Haman's life that if you don't respect me, you don't bow down to me, you don't pay homage to me, you don't recognize me, it, tr- it flipped a switch inside Haman and he became filled with rage because somebody, one person, was, not, was, was, was disrespecting him. And when that happens, there's something broken, not in the person that's disrespecting, there's something broken inside the person that it elicits rage because you don't have 100% adulation from people. Nobody's gonna get that. So he was filled with rage because this guy wouldn't bow down to him. You know, he felt disrespected. It says here, Haman was filled with rage. Next, next slide. Chapter five, then Haman went out that day glad, we're skipping over some of the story, went out that day glad and pleased of heart. So the king had given him a favorable decision and Haman was feeling large and in charge. He's working for the king. He's got most everybody bowing down to him. Uh, This guy's soaring in a secular sense. And he is very, very pleased at life. He's happy, he's glad. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. So even though the king had positioned Haman for this secular success, this one person, he was obsessed with one person's actions toward him. You never want to corner your life like that and be obsessed because one person is this emblem, is this trigger that no matter how much momentum is in your life in every other area, that person, their view of me, it makes me crazy. Fills me with rage. It becomes the total consuming distraction of my life. I must get this person to respect me. So his gladness of heart, his happy life, his relationship with the king, all of it went down the drain because he saw that person and they weren't reacting as if they're part of his fan club. 
And I think the enemy, we could talk about Elijah, who commanded the clouds and the rain. My goodness, sat with King Ahab, drank from golden goblets. But then Jezebel called. One voice from the past or one voice from the present, just one person, can send you into depression, rage, no matter how much momentum is at work in every area of your life. You have to eradicate that trigger. If you're going to be successful in kingdom leadership, you have to eradicate that one trigger in your life that turns you into somebody else in a moment's time simply by their presence or their absence of affirming you. If you carry that trigger around, the enemy will position him at the gate on your glad day just to paralyze you and spiral you down into a pit. I have to ask myself, Lord, is there any human being on this planet that has that kind of power over my life? I don't care whether they're entertainers, pastors, president. I don't care who it is. Nobody should have that kind of power over your life. Nobody. You can't give away your identity and authority to a person like that. That just the mere mention of their name, the mere sight of that person's face. All you're glad and happy is gone. Don't give that away to a, another human being on this planet. Because there's going to be people that are not going to be part of your fan club. They're not going to get you. It's okay. It's okay. Let it go. Man, I was with my grandkids. Little Elias, the kid that swallowed the magnets and swallowed a, a birth control pill. He's three. <laughs> But Gemma, his little sister's two. And man, we just sat there for about seven. It might have been 12, I don't know, seven hours, 12 hours watching Frozen on Saturday. <laughs> and then she's mastered this word again, again, again. Yeah. So, yeah, let, let, let that go. <laughs> Haman controlled himself, here we go, however, and went into his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches, the number of his sons, and every instance where the king had magnified him, and how he had promoted him above all the princes and all the servants of the king. This guy's doing this in front of his wife and his friends. Next verse. Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one uh, but me come with the king to the banquet which she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm inviting, invited by her with the king. This guy's on a roll, man. Riches, family, power, prestige. Yet all of this does not satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai, the Jew sitting at the king's gate, he gave this person access to everything. You know, I could bless you, affirm you, position you, network you, open doors for you, pray for you, speak well of you. All of this, you could do the same for me. But if I've given 
this one person, power over my life, that it's what they do that will determine all of my stability or instability of my life. The Lord wants to heal you early and thoroughly of this so that nothing in this life, no blessing, no amount of success will ever satisfy you if you've given your heart and life and mind and emotion and perspective to another human being, no matter who that is, that the mere sight of them, mention of them, it just triggers this irrational response. The devil has that person in every one of our lives that is positioned to create an irrational response, a non-reality in your world by the mere mention of their name. He said, none of this satisfies. Next thing. So his wife and all of his friends said to him, have a gallows, have a gallows 50 feet or cubits high made. This is 75 feet high. A normal gallow would be about 12 feet. Make it 75 feet high. Let that sucker just swing. We're going to hang old Mordecai and let him just swing. So he's building the tallest, most ridiculous, symbolic gallows in all of the land. And he's going to hang this dude from those gallows. 75 feet. His wife comes up with the plan. And in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. And then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. He's building these gallows to hang this dude Mordecai on. And that's what we do. We're almost done here. Three minutes, four minutes. We lay in bed at night. No matter how satisfying your life is going in every other arena, that person steps into your emotions. And you lay in bed in the dark and you build gallows. I'm going to build gallows. People are hung from the gallows. That's where a noose was hung from. And the idea of it being 50 cubits high or 75 feet high is that everybody in the city could see he's just going to hang high, he's going to swing, and the whole world will know I have defeated him. We lay in bed and we build gallows for people that we want to hang our enemies on. Well, you know how the story ends. Next one. So the king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther because Esther had turned the tables on Haman's plan to exterminate the Jews and to especially exterminate Mordecai, his mortal enemy, on these 75-foot gallows. Now the queens appealed to the king. The king knows the story. He's not going to annihilate all of his servants. And so he's angry. So now Haman knows that the gig is up. He goes in to beg for his life from Queen Esther for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. Now when the king returned from the palace garden into the place where they were drinking, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. The king walks into this, so he somehow he, he's, he's grabbed her, knocked her down, they're on the couch. The king then said, will he even assault the queen? With me in my house? Is he going after my wife? What's he doing here? Will he even assault the queen? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. 
Then one of the eunuchs who were before the king said, Behold indeed the gallows standing at Haman's house, 75 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. The only person who ever hangs on the gallows that you build for your enemy ends up being you. That's what bitterness does. Unforgiveness does. That's why you got to let it go. Because you're creating this great payback for these people. And the Bible has a way of forewarning us that what we sow, we reap. What we build for others to destroy them, we end up hanging on it ourselves. So don't hang with Haman. If you've got a person that takes away all of your satisfaction in life, all of your accomplishments, all the momentum, all your testimony, that person shows up, they just steal it from you, their mere presence, their mere name, their mere face. You got to take that person to the Lord and say, Lord, I am releasing this person from my life. I don't want to waste one second of my life building a noose, building gallows for that person that is in my heart that I somehow hate, Lord. I have to let them go because the only person that will hang there will end up being me. When I saw that verse of scripture, it changed my life forever. I invite you to make it change yours. Father, we thank you for this day. Let's all stand together, friends. Jesus, we love you, God. We can love everyone, and we can forgive people, Lord, and we can let things go, Lord, and we can be free from the obsession of revenge toward people, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that we give people to you, Lord. You build one up, you take another down, Lord. Sometimes we have to fire people. We have to have a confrontation. We have to correct. We have to move on uh, professionally from that individual, Lord. That's part of life, but Lord, I don't lay there at night allowing that person to steal my satisfaction. In this room, next just 20 seconds before we dismiss, just eyes closed, you say, President, I, I really, I, I have that Mordecai, that person they seem to steal all my satisfaction whenever they're in the room, whenever their name is brought up, all my satisfaction leaves. I commit to being free from this chapel forward. Would you just put a hand up high, put it up high, put it up high, put it up high. Precious Jesus, that's a lot. That's a lot of gallows. That's a lot of gallows, Lord. Dismantle, we, we dismantle the gallows, God. We take down that 75-foot gallow, God. In Jesus' mighty name, we let it go right now. Just let it go. Let it leave your body. Let it leave your mind. Let it leave your spirit. Let it leave everything. You do not have to waste one more second of your life doing God's work. God will take care of that person. You don't need to do that. That's why we don't take vengeance into our own hands. We let it all go in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How many are glad you came to chapel today? So, don't, don't hang, don't hang with Haman. And uh, keep, that, keep that story big in your life for the rest of your life. These altars are open. We love you. And uh, God bless you. Have a great day. Do your homework. Stay on fire for Jesus. Let's do it. <laughs>